Okay. Let's uh, let's jump into the uh, the message this morning. I want to pick up on something and share with you some really interesting things that I want you to hear from me. And and uh, concern that I'm praying about for you is I'm thinking about uh, the church of what we are doing here, uh, what we're doing on earth for heaven's sake. But last week I talked about uh, your faith and thinking about how Jesus Christ wants you strong in your faith in him. And so when we talked about being established in your faith and knowing that what you believe is really your belief and and how that lives out in your relationships, uh, I'm reminded of what Paul did with the Thessalonians. And remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, it starts with Paul and Timothy and Silas being very thankful because they had gone into a pagan uh, mission field and they had people turn from their pagan gods, but they turned. Uh, in Israel, it says that sometimes they would turn, but they wouldn't turn upward. And so people can change, but they won't change upward. But these Thessalonians did turn, and it says in First Thess 1, 2, and 3, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, again, to highlight this, if you haven't written this in your Bible, underline this, because this is, this is a key point for, for the message today. Uh, I thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. One, two, your labor prompted by love, and three, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is at the beginning of chapter one, and there's two books in Thessalonians. And so by the time they chased him out of town, after all that time and fellowship and instruction, Paul left them. But when he heard news later on about their development and their growth, what he said in the second letter, again, notice as he begins this letter, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because, and get the because, your faith is greatly enlarged. Two, and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. And he talks about third part is that they, they would continue to endure the afflictions because of their commitment of the hope that they have in Christ. But I wanted to see that between this young, young, young church, there's movement. And so faith was not static. Faith was not just an answer to a question. That there was a dynamic going on as these people responded to the Lord, responded to Paul. And this is key because as I'm thinking about uh, me and you and this is what God is doing through the Spirit in us, the, the key issue as I came across this week is, and um, Terry read, what is the ministry? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? What should be going on here? So if we're going to assess what we're doing, this is one of the key focus points points for me. And so it says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus responds, this is the work that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, if the work is about faith, 
that your faith and the dynamic of your faith, there should be some greatly enlarging, some movement, some dynamic. And if it's not happening, I think about, huh, okay, now what, what is the work again? To increase our faith. And as I, as I thought about my job, as it says in Ephesians, Paul went to the Ephesians, as he went to the Philippians, as he went to the Colossians, as he went to the Thessalonians, and here's Paul's role for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure which a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And in that passage, it says, my, my job and your job are, are, are together to focus on that growth in faith so that we have the same unity, the same standard, the same understanding, the same maturity. But I'm not called to the ministry. Oh, we got the wrong guy up there? No. We are all called to the ministry. And that ministry is to help each one of us build each other up in faith so that your understanding of Christ is the same understanding that everybody in the church should have. That's the goal. That's the work that the Spirit of God is that we all believe in him at a level of maturity. And as a result, because of this growth in maturity, we are not to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men, by craftiness and, and uh, deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are, again, to grow up in all aspects into him uh, who is the head. Even Christ, now get this last passage. It says, from whom Christ, from whom the whole body, you and me, being fitted and held together by every working joint, uh, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. Even Christ, who causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So as I'm thinking about what Paul did to the Thessalonians, and as I'm thinking about what missionaries do on the mission field, and as I'm thinking about what I'm doing here at Chesterton, I have to ask the same question. Are you growing in faith? Am I helping you grow in faith? And it's not just that question of faith. It's not just that abstract concept, and we'll talk about that, but it's about faith in Christ. It's a Christ-centeredness that the focus is what we're going to look at. So let me begin with this story, and I'm going to take you back to 1961 to Madagascar. You ready? Put on your, your uh, life vest because we're on a lake, and this story is told by David Attenborough, 1961, where he tells of a sorcerer who goes to the village living in this community around this lake. And he, the sorcerer would go for a glass of water, and the story is that everybody in the village resisted the sorcerer except for one person. And that person uh, uh, gave the glass of water, and so the sorcerer blessed that woman and said, leave this village 
because I'm going to destroy the village. And so the sorcerer cursed that village and up came a flood and drowned all those people in the village except this one woman. And the one woman was blessed and so her and her her family uh, survived and through the years what happened is uh a, an understanding of what took place is that all those people who drowned assumed the body of a crocodile and lived in the lake forever and ever. If you go to Madagascar, they believe this is, a, uh, is, a, is a, an understanding of their culture. So much so that when people who have needs, they will gather together at a special time, and they will have a ceremony to pray to the ancestors who died because they believe that the ancestors are closer to God than they were. And so in this particular ceremony, a woman who was single, who was pregnant, wanted to go and have the ancestors pray so that their baby would be healthy and so on and so forth. But they prayed, and they have a special ceremony. They get together and they chant, and when they chant, what happened was the alligator, or the crocodiles would appear. And so as a result of that crocodile appearing, they continued to sing and thinking, this is my ancestor listening to my prayer. And as they prayed, they would tell out their request, and this particular one was for this single lady. And what they do then is they take a sacrifice, a cow, a lamb, a goat, whatever, and they sacrifice it and they cut that cow up and then they throw it into the lake. If the crocodile takes it, it's an answer of yes, you will be blessed, you will be protected, she will have a good healthy baby. If the crocodile doesn't take it, it's a curse. Now that may seem far-fetched, but if you go into missions, you're going to get people with belief systems and worldviews that really are wild. Actually, another tradition they do in Madagascar is the Malagasy's, they have this ritual called dancing with the dead. And they go to the mausoleums and they actually take out the mummies, the the bodies that are wrapped in uh, cloth And they take them out and they parade. Why? Because they believe the ancestors are alive to God and will intercede for them. And so they wanted to keep the ancestors happy. So they're taking them out and dancing so everybody gets excited. It's it's an unbelievable system. Now imagine if you were Paul going into this culture. And so you have to think about these belief systems, these culture systems, these world systems, and how people have different belief systems. And like Paul going into the Thessalonians, I understand this very, very well, because if you go into Tokyo, a city of 26 million people, downtown Tokyo, they're they're going to build another business that's 25 stories tall. But they won't build over this one section because they believe that's the place where the samurai spirit was and they don't want to disturb the spirits of the samurai. So all these things have to do with this word shin or shinto. It's a belief. And so when you think about when you think about this word of believing and, and cultures and systems, uh, it's so important that we really think. And so what I want you to do is this. Take your hand and take your thumb, take it out. Everybody raise your hand and take your thumb. Now take your index finger and touch 
and put it right behind your right ear and turn your brain switch on. Click. <laughs> because I'm going to ask you to think today. And the thinking is really going to make you go, huh, I don't know. And huh, I want to learn about this. And so if you've been in conversations, as I have been, and as you well know, that there are a lot of people who have trouble with this idea of faith. And so you will hear this, no doubt, that faith, like Mark Twain says, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Uh huh. But faith, you get into conversations of people who say, well, I believe, I simply believe because my, my belief is what I believe. But there may not be any more to that sentence, and yet there are a lot of people in this new atheist movement that will attack you and question you and think about you in ways that you don't want them to think about you. For example, James Randi, an atheist, he says, those who believe without reason cannot be convinced by reason. So there's a lot of people who think that if you have faith, you're unreasonable. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. And so you often hear that faith understood is to believe without any evidence. And therefore, you don't have to think. You just have to say the magic words, I believe. Well, that's what they do in Madagascar. That's what they do in Japan. If you simply have a belief system, then who's going to question your belief system? So, so when Paul goes into Thessalonians, he's got an entirely different way of thinking about faith. And I want you to have that. And I don't know if you do have that. So I want you to think and interact with me as we go through the next several weeks because we're going to stop here. Because I want, you, I want to hear from you and as you interact with this material, because I know that you have faith, but is your faith greatly enlarged? So let's go into this. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Stop. Stop and listen to people who question your definition of faith. That when you hear people say that faith is believing without evidence... When you have this kind of faith, you are in a worldly, fleshly, uh, ungodly understanding of the word faith. And if you agree with this definition, that yes, faith is believing, though you don't uh, comprehend, you don't have a basis, faith is without evidence. And you will hear this. I want you to stop buying into the world's definition of faith. This is not a biblical definition. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to start thinking about faith with a biblical framework. And we're going to look at this so you understand and you can communicate what biblical faith means. And it is based on evidence. It is rational. It is, it is worthy of substantial commitment because it's not just hocus-pocus. It's not just a cultural uh, teaching or institution that you, you simply believe because that's what your culture teaches you to believe. So when you hear this phrase, you got faith, usually that is in the abstract. So could you define faith? For you, what is faith? Can you explain that to somebody? So let me ask you some questions. So turn on your, your thinker. Is there a difference between faith and believe and trust? 
What do you think? Do, 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 do. Shake your head, yes or no. Is there a difference? Can you explain the difference? Now, I see a couple gears turning, and I need some WD-40 on a couple of the gears. But, but is there a difference between I have faith, I have belief, and trust? Is all faith saving faith? No. So if you understand that all faith is faith, but what's the difference between faith and saving faith? Because you may have faith, but that faith may not save you. Hmm. Click, turn that on. What is biblical faith, and how do I greatly enlarge what I understand? If you are in the world, or you are in the world, you will hear these conversations all the time that if you have this tension between science and religion, faith and reason, you are going to live in a tension. And that tension involves your understanding and their understanding, and therefore there's going to be conflict. And unless you know how to respond and help uh, stay firmly grounded in Christ, you may be warped or distorted in your faith, believing in magic or believing in miracles or believing something that somebody's teaching you. And I want you to be grounded in what you believe. And so the question is, it's not a, it's not a high school test where I give you the test and you give me the answer. This isn't a Jeopardy thing. I give you the categories and you go, ding, this is the right answer. It's not just what you believe, but you need to know what you believe. It's who you believe. You see, everybody you know has faith. But it's where they get that faith and who is the source of that faith. But it's not just what you believe and who you believe. It's really understanding why you believe. And if you understand why the person you believe said what they believed, and you understand what and who and why, then you're thinking, and that's what I want you to do, to think about what you're thinking about. And so, and so that you can interact with them. And therefore, there's all kinds of assumptions that are being made that people make all the time. There's a w- wife whose husband thought he was dead. Drove the kids crazy. Mom and dad said, Dad, you're not dead. You're, you're alive. No, I'm dead. So the dad thought he was dead. And so the wife took, her to, took him to the doctor. And the doctor said, uh, your, your husband thinks he's dead? And the wife says, yeah, he's really dead. Can you help him? And the doctor said, yeah, I can help him. So he took the guy into the office and showed him some books about dead people and, and took showed the dead people, when he stuck the dead people, they don't bleed. He said, do you see that? The dead people don't bleed. He said, yeah. So he took out a needle and he stuck it in the guy's arm and pulled out blood. And what did the guy say? Well, look at that, doctor. Dead men do bleed. And it's all about perception and if you hear this, and, you, and I heard this on the way uh, going home and coming back, that with this virus, some people believe that they believe all kinds of things about this virus, but their belief is keeping them hesitant to take another virus. Well, the idea, the sentence that was said as I was listening carefully was this, this lady said, and perception is reality. 
Perception is reality. No, it's not. Perception is perception. Reality is reality. Don't blend those two because I understand what they were saying. But as soon as you say perception is reality, you've gone into that la-la land that anything goes. That if I just believe in a higher power, it's my perception. And that is not biblical faith. And therefore, if I give you this illustration, if I take your belief and I hold it up like a beach ball, and you're seeing this side, you may see the blue, white, and yellow on this side. But on the other side, the person's going to see orange and white and green. And so you have two different perceptions of the same ball until you turn that ball on its side, and then you see all six dimensions, all, all, all the different sides. And therefore, faith is going to look at all things because faith is going to be based not on your perception and not just on reality. It's going to be based on your understanding of what that reality says to you so that you have an experience, so that you have an understanding, so that you live out your life while you're on earth. What is faith? Well, according to the Greek, this is the word that you need, you need to hear. Faith is always a gift from God. Salvation faith, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is not of your perception. There is something outside of your perception, a reality that has to come to you, and it is a gift, and that gift is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And therefore, faith, and this is what I want to share with you, faith starts outside of you. Faith doesn't start inside you. Faith is an outside uh, reality that's coming towards you, and therefore there is a response called for. You see, faith is a noun. And as a noun, you can't use faith as a verb. I faithed, uh, I faithed my gift, no. I faithed my vote, no. I, I, you can't use that as a verb, it's a noun. And the noun says there's an acknowledgement that something outside of me is happening. This is the reality. And therefore, the faith is reality's meeting you. Your response to that reality is a verb. And that verb is belief. Now, belief is inside you. And if you believe the outside, it's an internal understanding an attitude about what you're encountering on the outside. And they're different. And therefore, you can talk about a belief system, but then belief becomes an adjective. But when belief becomes a verb, then it's talking about a relationship and interaction with what you're doing on the outside. You say, I don't believe that. I do believe that. The Bible study in Brazil, when the Marxists came into the Bible study, with Aldo, my friend, the Marxist said, uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. And, and this, this Marxist said, I don't believe that. Well, how do you say something? What do, what do you say to somebody, I don't believe that? What do you say to somebody who's an atheist, who's an agnostic, who doesn't understand? What do you do, church? I picked this up from Aldo. He said, I'm not asking you to believe it. 
I'm asking you to understand it. Oh, okay. Well, what does it say? Well, it says, in the beginning was the Word. I don't, I don't believe that. You know, but do you understand what it's saying? Yeah, but I don't, I don't believe what it's I understand. Understanding and belief. And so there's an interaction with this resistant spirit. And after six months of going through just kicking and screaming, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, <laughs> explaining what he understood the Bible to say, God gave him a gift of faith and opened his eyes. See, he had to interact with something before he had faith. And when God opened his eyes, then he could respond with belief. Now, you've got faith. You've got belief. Now, what's the difference of trust? If, if, uh, if faith is the outside reality, and then belief is an internal attitude to say, okay, I'm going I'm to recognize that, you may believe of this, but you still may not have saving faith. Because saving faith is not just recognition that Christ is Savior, that Christ died for sin. It's not just recognition of that reality. Saving faith goes to that next step. And that next step is called trust. And trust is not just a system, it's not a noun, it's not a, uh, a myth, it's not, it's an understanding, trust is something different. And there are three parts to trust that you've got to have down if you understand that faith is going to be alive. And the works that the Spirit of God is to have people believe in Him, and that means that your faith has to be Christ-centered. It's a relational response. Trust means three things. One, it means you understand this outside reality. Two, it means you respect it, this outside reality. You go, it's credible, it's valid, it's worthy. But the third thing is a desire. I want I want to connect. I want to deposit my faith in him. And therefore, if you have understanding and respect and no desire, or and desire, then that is what trust is. And if you have trust, then your faith comes alive, your belief takes on action, and it takes it out of the realm of just cultural myth, abstract philosophy, intellectual belief, or whatever. To have faith in Christ means to put your trust in Christ. And that trust then moves from the outside to the inside. And when God speaks to you on the inside through his word and through the church, your perspective changes. Your reality changes. Why? Because you are connected with Christ. It's this connection of believing, trusting, following, wanting, respecting, that makes you grow in faith. If you just have faith, period. If you just have belief without evidence, period. There's a word for that. There's several words, actually. Delusion, gullibility, naivety immaturity. And that is not for you, Christian. That's not for you. And therefore, as you look at faith, 
but, but wait a minute, Jerry. You, you don't understand. The Bible does say you, you don't have to see, right? Because Hebrews does say that faith is being sure what you look, look what you're hoping for, and it's certain of what you do not see. Doesn't that mean you don't have to have reason? You don't have to have evidence? Doesn't that mean that you, don't, you just believe because you believe? I'm telling you that's a simplistic way, silly way, of approaching maturity. Because that's not what that means. If you have faith that's biblical faith, it means you have a certainty of the reality that has not yet happened, does not yet exist, yet will come into existence, will pass into reality. Faith is the assurance that the promise that Jesus makes to us is going to happen. So put it on your calendar. Put your money in the bank. This is a solid faith that means you're going to take action. Sandy and I are trying to plan for our vacation. And so we are certain that we're going to go on vacation, but we haven't, don't know where yet, so we're still working on that. But when you make a plan and you have this uncertainty that's going to happen, then your faith takes on an action. You don't become passive. You move. You move. And Christians who have faith move. This is the work that's produced by faith. This is the labor that moves in love. This is the hope that guides you into action. And therefore, for Paul, uh, he's trying to say to the Thessalonians, the promise that Jesus made to you, that, that you are his, and you've turned from the living gods, and now you've met the living God, and you have faith. God has opened your eyes. And they grew, and they grew, and they grew. Well, that's true for us. But didn't Jesus say to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and who haven't seen me? Isn't that just believing without evidence? No, no, no. Read it in context. What happened next? Jesus says, here's my hands. Thomas didn't want just to see a risen Christ. He wanted to see the very nails, the scars in his hand. And Jesus gave him the evidence. Here I am. Don't be unbelieving, but be, be believing. In other words, if you're face-to-face -face with Christ, it's not just a faith. It's not a worldview. It's not a belief system. It's Jesus. And trusting in Jesus, understanding who he is, respecting the fact that he is Lord of the universe and worthy of all of our praise and trust, and that you have a real desire. I want to be in Christ. My faith is in Christ. My reality is Christ. And therefore, to grow in that reality means to grow and experience Jesus Christ more and more and more and more. Now, that causes a problem. There are two things that astounded Jesus. Two things that really caught him like, wow. And the two things that astounded Jesus was, one, those who had faith. Remember the Roman centurion, not Jewish, this pagan Roman came to Christ, uh, came to the Christ and said, would you heal my daughter? And he says, yes, let's go to your house. And he, Jesus said, no, no, we don't have to go to your house. He said, wow, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. Because this Roman centurion understood authority. He understood the word. He understood that he doesn't have to 
prove anything. He said, I just trust his word. And Jesus said, that's amazing. The other thing that amazed Jesus was when he went to his hometown. He could do no work there, no miracle there. Why? Because of their unbelief. And that unbelief shocked him. And he said, when the the epileptic boy came and the boy said, Jesus said, the man's father said, can you heal heal my son? And Jesus looked at him like, oh, you're kidding me. What do you mean, if you, if you can? Of course I can. Jesus is stunned when we don't believe. There's a word for that. It's called foolish. And Israel was foolish because they didn't respond. Well, because for us, we move in a different realm because the Spirit of God has opened our eyes and given us grace. Abraham believed God. There's that internal response to the external promise. Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You notice these are dynamics, descriptions of people who have different levels of faith. And so for us, we simply understand, and this is where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks, that your faith, to assess the level of your faith, means different things. One of my favorite educators is Vygotsky. If you know him, teachers know Vygotsky, who's a Russian. Um, he's very famous for this zone of proximal development. And so when you think about a child developing the next stage of development into adulthood, uh, there's, there are different levels. And I've taken that model as I've thought about the passages, and, look, and I looked in these levels of faith, and we'll go through these next couple of weeks, that there has to be a level of understanding of what you understand about Jesus, about what you understand the kingdom of God is about, what you understand the gospel is about. It's about who you know and why you know what you know in and through him, and he has persuaded you to love him, to communicate, and then to help other people learn about him. But these are the four areas we're going to look at. And we're going to look at the fact that there are people that you know who have no faith, non-existent faith. Not just atheists, but by non-existent biblical faith. I mean, they have a faith that won't save them, an ineffective faith. Then there's a stage where you come to the point of understanding what faith, how faith is involved in your salvation. And to have that grounding means you move from elementary school to high school, and you really know and you can explain what you know. Then you go to this part where you have, uh, you move from infantile faith to a mature faith. So all of these things have to do with the fact that when you look at faith, and if the eyes of the Lord look to and fro to strengthen, educate, train, and disciple, your faith should be greatly enlarged. So, I'm going to leave this for you as we go into the next uh, several passages, never, several weeks, with that same, that same focus, that this is the work of God, that your belief in Him, and that's the focus for us, that what you understand that you really understand and you respect 
and you value and you trust. So that's what we're going to see because that's exactly what happened in Thessalonians. Paul says Jesus is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. And they repented and they turned. That's the same principle for us. It's the same in Madagascar. It's the same in Tokyo. Wherever there is a belief system, the Holy Spirit's got to go in and unlock that and open us up and grow. Well, are you guys ready to grow in faith? Again, turn on your brain and ask, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? But more important, who do you believe? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, would you take these words and would you water them and cause them to grow to accomplish your purpose so that we take the next step in our faith? Lord, give us understanding. Give us that mind of Christ. And give us that, I, that, that freedom to really question and learn and, and dig and, and understand in a way that helps us mature as disciples of Christ. And so, Father, it's for your glory and our growth we pray. Amen. Amen.